Hello, friends, and hello, Embassy Church family. This is Pastor Phil on Thursday, April 16th, 2020. I mention that because it means that we're still in the middle of the coronavirus pandemic as this is being recorded, and it means that I'm wondering, how should we respond? What is the appropriate biblical way to respond to change and transition? What is the way that you and I should respond to change and transition? Does the Bible present a practice, a way of living, a way to respond to God and to one another when something big is happening in our lives? Let's be honest, right now we're going through something that is quite big. This is a historic time that we will remember for the rest of our lives. Some might want to call it a sacred moment. When life-defining moments happen, what is the response? And I'm going to suggest that one response, at least, that we need to have on our radars and that we should probably be implementing is to not eat. Or, as it's often called, the practice of fasting. Let me give you three examples from Scripture of this point. First, Exodus chapter 34, verses 27 and 28. And the Lord said to Moses, Write these words, for in accordance with these words I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. So he was there with the Lord forty days and forty nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water, and he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. There's roughly thirty times where fasting appears in the scriptures. This is the first of those 30 times, and it is when Moses is responding to a sacred moment of going up on Mount Sinai and receiving the Ten Commandments. Now, if you're more familiar with this story, you might know that there was a little up and down and back and forth between God and Israel, but this is the end of that series of up and down movements on the mountain, and the way that Moses responds is to fast for 40 days and for 40 nights. He either ate, neither ate bread nor drank water. Example number two, 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 1 through 9. King Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. Pause right here in the reading. All that Elijah had done was defeat the prophets of Baal, and the fire came down on Mount Carmel, and it was an amazing spectacle and show of God's power and his victory. And so we've got another sacred moment from another key figure, Elijah the prophet. Back to the reading. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then Elijah was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree, and he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and he slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. 
And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank. And he went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mount of God. The same pattern we saw with Moses is happening here with Elijah. Moses, the man who represents the law, the giving of the Ten Commandments, the first five books of the Bible are called the books of Moses. If you want to summarize the whole Old Testament, you could say the law and the prophets. Moses, the greatest of the law givers and the one man that epitomizes the time period of the first five books, the law period of the Old Testament. Elijah is the same category in terms of the prophets, law and prophets, Moses and Elijah. And both of them have these sacred moments, these connection points with God, these times upon a mountain, and God appears in spectacular fashion with lightning and thunder and fire. And and in both cases, it leads to a time of fasting, 40 days, 40 nights. Third example, Luke chapter 4, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. That was Luke chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. This comes right after Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River by John the Baptist. Then a voice from heaven, the heavenly Father, spoke and said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And the Spirit of God came down as the heavens opened and rested and remained upon Jesus. The very next story is full of the Holy Spirit, Jesus was led into the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil, and he ate nothing during those days. Moses, Elijah, Jesus. These three men summarize really the entire Bible, and all three of these men have a giant moment, a sacred moment, an interruption into their everyday lives. It is an encounter with the Holy God, and as they do so, they respond physically with fasting, with, with not eating. It's interesting to note that when many people think about fasting, one of the reasons that they think that they should do the practice of fasting is to enhance their prayers. It's like you're asking God for something and you really need him to hear you, so you're going to fast to enhance that prayer. Give it like a special boost of power or juice. These men are not being described as asking for anything. All three of these examples of fasting and all three of these examples are from the men that represent the entire section, if not the whole Bible, uh, the entire sections of Bible, if not the whole Bible, if you just put them together. Moses, Elijah, Jesus, that pretty much sums up the key leaders of each section of the Bible. And each of them have these defining moments with God, and each of those moments lead to fasting. 
It is not a results-oriented view of fasting. It is a response to a sacred moment of God's presence. And so I'm asking us, in this time, in this moment, what are you thinking about in terms of how to respond? We have been talking as a church family about responding in prayer. Prayers of lament, prayers of thanksgiving, constant daily prayers of not ceasing I think one of the things we need to add to this discussion is to pray and to fast. Eating is one of the most universal routines that you're going to do every day. It's a, it's a basic habit of life. If I were to guess in the next day or two and say, oh, what, what's something you're going to do on Friday or Saturday or Sunday? There's a good chance that you're going to eat and that would not seem to you or to me as like, wow, what an amazing prophet Pastor Phil is that he knows that I was going to eat that day. So to not eat, though, is to boldly and unnaturally interrupt your daily routine. And it seems that fasting is an appropriate way to respond as a way to deal with change or transition or interruptions. This seems to be the model that we get not only from Moses, Elijah, and Jesus, but doing a study through all of those 30 different instances of fasting, different Bible scholars and teachers have summarized it with these three things, three occasions for fasting. First, fasting in response to a sacred moment of the presence of God. This is what we just covered in the Moses, Elijah, Jesus examples. Second, fasting in response to our sin. And third, fasting in response to tragedy. And I think as we consider this season of life that we find ourselves in with the coronavirus, there is probably a a sense to which all three of these might apply. There is a sacred moment happening where we are connecting with God or being challenged by God in a season of life where we're being interrupted in a historic way that you will remember for the rest of your life. There's something special or different about this moment. Secondly, our sin is being exposed in new ways that we've not maybe seen before, whether we've talked about fears or anxieties of what's going to happen in the future, or there's the cabin fever that some people are feeling right now or the interactions that we're having with one another in our homes more often and etc there are various ways that which sin might be revealed and when you feel sorrowful for those sins fasting could be one of those responses to fast in response to your sin and thirdly there are tragedies all around us of death and disease and sickness And sometimes it is so sickening and so grievous to our heart that your physical body will get into a mode where it just doesn't even want to eat. This is one of those strange things that in terms of practices that after funerals, many people would fast. Many people that being Jewish and Christian believers in God that are following biblical patterns and traditions. And it seems that our practice, at least that I'm accustomed to in America, is that after a funeral, there's a big banquet and we eat and we feast. We bring food to people when they're going through hard times. And sometimes uh, we're being told, hey, I I know you don't feel like you want to, but you need to eat something. Uh, 
an entirely appropriate response to death and tragedy is to not eat. Many of you aren't even going to feel like you're capable of eating when you're in the, the midst of it. And we're not talking about 40 days and 40 nights necessarily. Uh, we're mostly talking about a day, a two, two days maybe. Acknowledging your grief and learning how to grieve in the midst of it is one of the benefits of fasting. And so those would be the three occasions responding to God's presence in a sacred moment, a moment in history that you will remember for the rest of your life. Responding to your sin and having your sin exposed in ways that are new and it leads you to mourn and fast. And thirdly, to respond to a tragedy. I want to also suggest three reasons for fasting. So in addition to occasions for when you might fast, three reasons for why you would want to fast. And those three would be first, to starve the flesh and to feed the spirit. Starve the flesh, not meaning the flesh of your physical body, but rather starving the flesh of your sinful desires. And that fasting can be a way that you starve your physical body to remind yourself of the starving that needs to happen on our sinful flesh and the desires of my natural hungers for my soul and my body and all of life. And there are many of them that are disordered. The flesh in the Bible, when it's referred to in different letters of Paul in particular, the flesh means the disordered desires of the heart. And so many of us, we need to realize that the reason why we're sinning in certain ways or certain problems in our life are rooted in disordered desires in our heart or in our flesh. And so we need to starve the flesh. We need to put off and put on. These are all the different language and passages that are used in the New Testament to fight sin and to grow in the Christian life. And fasting is, I think, right at the center of one of those practices of starving the flesh and feeding the spirit. A second reason to fast is to pray. It is a way to learn how to pray. And since we're continuing to do a study as a church family and encourage you to pray, it seems fitting that amongst our discussions of prayer, we would talk about how fasting is associated with prayer. You can pray without fasting and you can fast without praying, but it seems that these two things come together in a special way, and therefore we want to consider that more in future messages and times together on our Zoom meetings. Third reason to fast, to stand in solidarity with the poor. Those who are hungry and starving those who are struggling with everyday life. There are going to be people during this coronavirus, especially the longer that it goes on, that are going to struggle to get groceries, to pay their bills, to not be able to eat. And instead of feasting and acting like everything's okay because you have hoarded up all the food from a grocery store and you're not struggling, is to fast intentionally. And to remember those who are struggling because we are going through a sacred moment right now. We are going through a time of tragedy and grief. And there will be many that will suffer more than others. And if you're in a position of prosperity and you're in a position of wealth and you're in a position of having all the food that you want, one of the ways that you can respond 
to this moment, knowing that there are people around us that are hurting and dying and struggling, is to stand with them by fasting. So I wanted to overview the idea of fasting in this message, the occasions for it and the reasons to do it. So the occasions, again, are a response to a sacred moment, a response to sin, and a response to a tragedy in our lives. Reasons to fast, starve the flesh, feed the spirit, to pray, and to stand in solidarity with the poor. I want to unpack these more in the weeks to come, and I think that it would be good for us to consider this as another way to already do what we've been talking about with lamenting, or prayers of thanksgiving, or praying without ceasing, and this be another practice that you use your whole body for. And so I want us to uh, have this introduction about how to respond when life gets interrupted and for us to have the category that fasting is one of those ways to respond. But before I close up this message, I want to remind you that Jesus has an interaction with his disciples and some Pharisees, and they're asking Jesus why his disciples do not fast. And the answer that he gives is that because when you're at a wedding banquet, it's time to celebrate. The opposite practice of fasting is feasting, and that there are going to be seasons and times where we should be feasting. And so I think one of the things that we need to keep in mind is that because not only Jesus gives us an example of fasting, he teaches about fasting in the Sermon on the Mount, and he says, when you fast, this is how you should do it. There is uh, plenty of Christian tradition, not only in the book of Acts, but throughout church history, that this is one of the core practices for how believers respond to different moments in their life and how to grow as a Christian. But we also need to remember that we're right now in the week after Easter. Lent is the season prior to Easter, prior to Good Friday, that is typically associated with fasting and giving something up. And then what many of us maybe forget is that Easter is not just a one-day event, but it leads to a series of feasts and festivals for the church, at least as the church has practiced throughout the calendar history, uh, one of those being the Ascension Day Festival and the other being the Pentecost Festival. And from Easter onward, it is 40 days not of Lent and fasting, but 40 days of celebration and joyful feasting. So here we are. We find ourselves in this strange time where it is entirely appropriate, on the one hand, for us in terms of our calendar and just celebrating Easter, for us to consider the practice of feasting and of celebration and of joy and resurrection. The bridegroom has come. And because Jesus gave up everything from his body and he, he gave his life for us, we can now feast. This is, this is glorious good news. On the other hand, we're living in a day right now where the not yet reality of the kingdom, hopefully you know this phrase, that we are already now established in the resurrection of Jesus and the kingdom has been launched in that resurrection and Jesus is on the throne and that we should acknowledge the alreadiness of Jesus's kingdom on the earth right now. But we also live in the not yet where 
the kingdom is growing and expanding and it is not fully there and sin still exists and death is still reigning over the earth and therefore there is tragedy and sadness and viruses and disease and therefore fasting is still appropriate. So I want to encourage each of you to consider where we are at. We are in a moment of both feasting and fasting. We're in a moment of both tragedy and triumph. We are in a moment and a time where there is the juxtaposition of both of these realities in the Christian life. And therefore, I want to encourage you to think about how you might practice both of them. But for the time being, let's focus our attention on the practice of fasting. Let's do that over the course of this weekend in our next Zoom gathering and our next Zoom home worship guide. And then in in upcoming messages, you're going to hear more about these different reasons for fasting. I'd like to speak about starving the flesh and feeding the spirit and how this can be a great response and a way to fight our sin. I want us to think more about how we can pray and fast. I want to give practical applications for how to go about fasting. My guess is that many of you listening to this, this is not in your wheelhouse. And therefore, we need teaching and instruction. And I want to confess this is not something that I'm amazing at and that I've done for my entire Christian life. But it is something that I have tried to make a practice for several years of having some set-aside time where there is days of prayer and fasting. And I think that it would be useful for many of us at our church to figure out what it looks like for us to fast. So, let's prayerfully and seriously consider the moment we're living in now. And let's see if fasting is not one of the best ways for us to respond to this moment in time. Let's pray together now. Our Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for sending your son Jesus into the world and for his example of fasting. We also want to thank you for his giving of his life so that there can be feasting. And we want to pray that this balance of fasting and feasting, the practices of both sorrow and joy would be able to be embodied and practiced by members of Embassy Church and any friends that are listening to this teaching. We want to pray, God, that your Holy Spirit will move mightily in this time, that this fasting would not be done merely so that we can get something, so that we can juice up our prayers and tell you that we're really paying attention. We want to pray, God, that we would respond because you are getting our attention now, and many of us need to figure out what it is you're trying to say and what you're trying to do in our lives individually and corporately as a church and then globally as a world, a, a nation, as humanity is going through this virus together. We want to pray and ask that your spirit will move through practices and disciplines like fasting and at times like feasting and to teach us how we can engage with you faithfully and responsibly. We pray this so that you would get glory and praise, so that your name would be magnified, and so that the gospel will spread forth throughout the nations. Lord God, do more than what we could even ask or imagine right now as we're thinking about how what seems to be a little or maybe insignificant thing of, of skipping one meal or skipping two meals or taking a day or two 
I pray that we would realize that it, it may seem small or insignificant, but over the course of time and over the course of us giving ourselves to this practice, we know that the, the mighty work of God through the Holy Spirit can change and transform and help us to be changed and transformed through this. And we want to pray for it in Jesus' name. Amen.